to get loud. <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump in. Let me see if I can manipulate this. Whew. Okay, so the, the, the section of scripture, scripture that we have this morning from Luke 13, 22 to 14, 35, it's problematic for a number of reasons. Number one, it's really long. So that's a challenge. But number two, to be honest with you, um, this is, I feel like, a specific discipline for a person like me and for the people in the room. And uh, this one, I will tell you, of all the lessons I prepared for, this one was the hardest because it hit a little close to home for me the more and more I thought about it. But the key line that I found running through the entire portion is it says, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? Now, the interesting thing is Jesus could have just answered, yes, only a few are going to be saved. But that's not what he does. He takes a, a little yes, only a few are going to be saved. But that's not what he does. He takes a, a little bit of a more uh, right in. He goes, make every thing. Why? Only a few are going to be saved. And he jumps right in. He goes, make every effort. To Many will, quote, unquote, try. Okay. Now, this is the weirdest part. Many will, quote, unquote, try, but will not. We, we typically think of in the modern church effort, which, again, is a little different than what we typically think of in the modern church, where it's a gift and it's not by works. Okay. So this was, this was a little different. Okay. So we gotta, I think we've got to put that in context. But then it goes further and says, there's a time limit. It's not just entering the door. It's entering the door before the door is closed. And he says that the door closes, that the owner of the house gets up, closes the door. Okay? And then the people that had previously said they didn't want to enter, right, are now, now want to enter. And their argument to enter is that they ate and drank with Jesus and that he, was taught, that he taught in their streets. And that by that rationale, they should be allowed in. But then he answers, and this is kind of sobering. And he says, but he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Now, people will weep and gnash their teeth when they see others inside at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they're themselves not allowed to attend, which means now we've got an imagery set up. There's a door, and there's a feast inside the door. Well, he connects that to the next part, to another parable about another feast. It's the same feast, okay, when you look at it. And he said that a man prepared a great banquet or a feast, invited many guests. Now, many people made excuses. One said, oh, I just bought a field, and I need to go check it out. I bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go test drive them, right? I just got married. Can't go. So the man says, okay, fine. We're not going to have them. We're going to go get all the poor, the, lime, the blind, the, the lame, the crippled in our immediate area. Bring them in. They bring them in, and there's still space. So he says, go out into the more distant areas. The, the highways and the byways, and bring everybody in until my house is filled. But those people that I initially invited, who are too busy or too engaged to come, they will never get a taste of my banquet. Okay. Then, so we've got the banquet, we've got the door, but what's the, how do you get through the door? And then Jesus adds, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, their wife and children, their sisters and their brother, yes, their, even their own life, they can't be my disciple. And anyone does not take up their cross and follow me, can my thing, my disciple. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So this asks a few key questions, I think. One, why don't people enter the narrow door? And what effort is it that would be required that would keep people from entering the narrow door? And why don't people want to attend the banquet? What would be better than attending the banquet? And why don't people want to follow Christ? Why don't we want to follow Christ and be his disciples? So I think the best way to do this, I, I thought of a number of ways, and one was through a story. Okay, so there's a young man, 
who's born in a prison camp, okay? In fact, there were so many generations that were born in this prison camp that people began to doubt it really was a prison camp. Now, the young man knew the story of the, the genesis of the prison camp. A very early generation had rebelled against a good king, and he had consigned, sentenced the rebels to this camp, and then constructed a massive wall, massive unscalable wall, between his good kingdom and the prison camp. So this young man decides he's going to escape, and he's going to go around to the five tribes inside the prison camp and figure out how do you get out. So he goes to the first tribe, and he asks, and the first tribe says, it's not a prison camp. There's no need to escape, right? The second tribe says, no, we're not sure if it's a prison camp or not, but we know there's something better on the other side of the wall, right? And in fact, we've got hundreds of our sub-clan, tribesmen, right, trying to figure out a way to scale the wall and break in to the kingdom. Now, the, the young man asks, I mean, sounds good. Has anybody ever done this? He says, well, not to date. No one's ever gotten in through, through here yet, but with all these hundreds of sub-clans working on it, we figure it's only a matter of time before we get a breakthrough. And the young man asks, what could be so difficult about scaling this wall? Well, the guy from the tribe says, well, look at us. And so the young man did look around, and everybody looked exactly the same, right? They all have these massive backpacks, right, with crushing weight inside of them, right, with all their belongings, stuff falling out of it. And then they looked, and everybody's hands absolutely full, right, to the brim, where stuff's falling out all the way up to their neck with all their possessions, right? And the reason is, if they set anything down, or if even something drops out of their hands, boom, someone's going to come snatch it up and steal anything they leave unattended, even for a second. It's a prison camp, you know, full of thieves and rebels and liars and cheats. More than that, every single person there had ropes leading offers any relative possible direction that were connected to all their family members, any relatives, any friends, anybody else, so that at a moment's notice that he needs something, they could just yank and pull them in to pull him in to help them. But the guy from the, the second tribe said, it's even worse for rich people trying to climb the wall. He says the reason is they're carrying all the same stuff we are, but they have these massive entourages, right, of wives and slaves and family members and extended family members and friends. But where, they're, where we're connected by ropes, they're connected by chains because all these entourage, all these people are carrying all the rich man's stuff. And so they're weighted down just like everybody else, and they can't be connected by ropes because otherwise they just cut the rope and run off with the rich man's stuff. So the young man's a little dismayed, so he goes and talks to the third and fourth tribe. Now, they live very close together. They're only separated by a narrow pathway that leads to a door, literally, in the wall, right? So they go over there, and he starts talking to them. Now, the tribe on the both tribes agreed that there was definitely a good kingdom on the other side. Neither of them was sure if where they were living was actually a prison camp. Now, both tribes had claimed to have spoken to the king at some point or the son of the king who was literally guarding the door into the good kingdom. Okay? But the weird part was neither of the tribes had actually entered the door. They all lived just outside of it. Now, the tribe on the right was a little older and a little strange. They took all the rules that they heard from the good king speaking to them long ago, and they, they managed the good kingdom, and they brought it into the camp. 
It was rules for safe living in the kingdom. It said that because the kingdom over there is perfect, it would be dangerous not to be perfect to live over there. So what we did was we took and copied all those rules, and we, we instituted them here in the prison camp to make the prison camp a little bit more like the good kingdom. So we can have a shadow of the good kingdom without having to actually pay the price of going in. Okay? Then the tribe on the left, a little bit younger, and they claimed that they spoke to only to the son, and they spoke to him regularly, like literally listened to the guy every week. And, some, and they, some people ate with him weekly, some people ate with him monthly. Okay? And what they said was, that in talking to the son, that they emulated all of the way that people treat each other inside the good kingdom and all the freedoms that everybody had in the good kingdom. And they instituted all those inside the prison camp to make the prison camp a little less because they don't have to actually pay. But the cost was less because they don't have to actually pay anything to get through the narrow door. So the young man's frustrated. He's like, hasn't anybody ever gotten out of this prison camp? And he said, well, there was one group of people that said they got out. That was the fifth tribe. They said, but they're really weird, okay? First of all, they claim that they all died and came back to life. But we don't believe them because they're still walking around, right? Number two, they don't act like us. They don't look like us. And from what we can tell, they're absolutely destitute. So the young man's interested. But right then, a group from the fifth tribe was literally passing on their way to go to the door and speak to the son. And as they were going by, they stopped. And one of the men in the, the, this weird fifth tribe stopped and greeted the young man. And the young man realized, yep, they are as weird as everybody said they were. Okay? He said, looking at them, they did look different than everybody else. Now, they were dressed in just simple white clothes, right? But they weren't sweaty, they weren't grimy, they weren't hunched over and absolutely exhausted from carrying all their possessions. And in fact, they weren't carrying anything except for these large wooden beams. Okay? Now, the beams were even weird. Right? Because the beams, each one of these beams had different branches growing out of, out of what ostensibly looks like a telephone pole. And each one of the branches were different because each one of them produced different fruit and different kinds of fruit. Right? And even some of the branches produced so much fruit that whenever somebody from the fifth, or fifth tribe bumped into someone else, that literally true uh, fruit would fall off on them. To make the matter even weirder, is the beams they're carrying literally spraying out water as they're walking around and raining down on anybody that they talk to. Now, the young man asked one of the people, and he's like, are those, are those beams heavy? He's like, no, they're made from a special composite that comes from the good kingdom, right? But the problem is it requires absolute concentration to take hold of it. You really can't carry anything else. The young man was also worried about it. He's like, look, I've got everything I own. These people actually obviously own nothing. He offered, the young man offered some of them, the guy he's talking to, some of his possessions. And I said, no, no, that's all right, man. I've got everything I need. It's all back at my tent. And the guy was like, how is that possible? Like, how do you keep your stuff from being stolen? He's like, well, in point of fact, it doesn't belong to me. Okay? It actually belongs to the good king, and he protects his own stuff. Okay? But he gives it to me for my utility, for my use. Question for you, would you like to go inside the prison camp? Now, question for you, would you like to go meet the son and actually go talk to him for a little while? And so the young man took him up on the offer. And he's like, yeah, we're, in fact, we're heading there right now, us, this big group of, of the fifth tribesmen, along with people from all the other four tribes. 
So they all go stand in front of the good king. And each person from the fifth tribe takes turns introducing the men and women they brought with them from the four tribes to the son and introduces each one. And what the young man realized was this is all these people do all day is they literally go find people in the four tribes and introduce them to the son. Now, once the introductions were over with the son, the son did all the talking from that point forward. And so what he said was that the door leading out of the prison camp was actually a second chance, that the true nature of everybody's situation in the prison camp was they were all doomed to destruction, all condemned, all sentenced to destruction as it stood today, that the only possibility for escape was through the narrow door, okay? Now, if they went through the narrow door, they could alternatively live with he and his father forever and attend a banquet there, okay? In fact, the father and the son wanted everybody to escape from the prison camp and escape imminent destruction, right? And in fact, the son promised to pay the debt of anybody who wanted to enter through the narrow door. Now, the problem was one of the, one of the people in the four tribes shouted out a question. He's like, hey, we all know that the cost of entering that door is too high. But the son said, that's not exactly accurate. The truth of the matter is, it's free. It's absolutely free. But there is a problem. In order to pass through, you need a passport. You need an icon. You need a token that identifies you with me before you get in there. And that's that beam you see that the people from the fifth tribe are carrying. And just then he gestured to the side of the door, and they saw literally an endless number of these beams leaning against the wall. The crazy part is each person saw a beam with their name on it and a little bit of the sun's blood. And he said, the problem with these beams is, in order to pick one up, you got to set everything else down. Then he gestured to the door to make, to make this a little more challenging. He's like, to enter that door, only one person at a time with his or her beam can enter the door. And so you're going to have to cut all your chains or ropes that attach you to people or things in the prison camp to be able to enter with your beam. Check in with the good king, and he will create the king immediately upon arrival. He'll check in with the good king, and he will create an account in the kingdom in your name. You'll do an immediate inventory of everything you own, down, and you'll sign it all over to him. And what he will do is a currency exchange at that moment. He will change everything that all your... This, this nasty stuff that you saved up in the prison camp, and he'll change it into actual currency of the kingdom, and he will put that in your account and earn interest daily until you finish your term inside the prison camp. Now, once you get into, once you get done with that, you'll re-enter the prison camp as a citizen of the good kingdom, and a beam will be your diplomatic passport, Okay. Now, once you're inside the good king or the prison camp, the good king will reissue you all your belongings. Now they belong to him, but he will place them at your disposal in order to fulfill your mission inside the prison camp. And your mission is this: going into the four tribes and bringing people and introducing them to me. Now, what's interesting is once he finished his speech, the son asked who wanted to enter the door. Now, a lot of people just scoffed and walked back to one of the four tribes, the, the original four tribe they joined. But there were other people that made polite excuses 
and said that they had other stuff to do in the Im immediate term. Some had amazing investments they needed to look into. Some had amazing work that they'd generated for themselves in the prison camp. Many had great relationships that they weren't ready to cut yet before they entered the door, but they definitely loved listening to the son. So they, they joined the fourth tribe, and they promised to come hear him again next week. Okay? Out of the entire crowd, only a handful entered through the narrow, narrow door. For the rest of them, the cost was just too high. Okay. So, obviously, this is a, a metaphor. So we'll go through the, the tribes. I think you've picked out some of them. The first tribe are atheists. They, they, don't, they don't believe they stand condemned. They don't think it's a prison camp, so there's no need to escape. Okay? Then we, oh, sorry. Then we look at the second tribe. These are the false religions. And the interesting part is they try to scale the wall and break into the sheepfold, break into the sheep pen, which Jesus said is impossible without coming through what? The, the, to the gate. And who's the gate? The gate is Jesus Christ from John 10, 9. Okay? The third tribe is Israel. The interesting part is they institute all the rules that make heaven wonderful here in the prison camp, right? But they don't actually escape. And then the fourth one. And this is a destruction. Yet. And then the fourth one. And this is a tough one. Are the unsaved churchgoers. Is that the, the, the people that we believe that were saved just by attending church. That's the Luke 13, 28, where we eat and drink with Jesus. We hear him speak continuously. But we don't actually enter the kingdom. So, in here, what's required to leave the prison camp? Literally, a beam. It's a cross. And I love this part. It's got everybody's name on it. Right? And the great part about having everybody's name on it, that's a specific personal invitation to come in. It's not a random, anonymous, come on in. It's Dallas, come on in. And, you can, and Dallas can say, and that's all right. I don't want to come. And our cross is literally our passport between the prison camp and the kingdom. But the problem is we can't take up our cross and still hold on to the things of this world. The other tough part is God doesn't have grandchildren. I can't get my kids into heaven through my faith. I can't drag people through the door from the prison camp. Worse than that, I'm a fool if I let the people who I love in this world keep me from entering, from escaping destruction. Those ropes work both ways, okay? Next part is we have the use of everything God's given us, but it doesn't belong to us anymore. It's been reissued to us on like an ECR card, an equipment custody card for our use in the kingdom for the mission, okay? But we're responsible for its employment. Yeah, some of it's for our comfort to keep us alive, keep us uh, uh, sane. But on the whole, how much of it do we use for his kingdom? And the last part is, most of people are going to try to make the prison camp a little less prison campy. That's the great terror. Instead of taking hold of the actual kingdom, we settle for making the prison camp less terrible. And maybe even worse than that is that we can come very close and live just outside the door but never go in. We can listen to the king, the son, every day and not take the offer. And there's, there should be great terror in that for all of us or great cause for us to act and fix that. So this is a part where my mistake came in. And so Jim Neighbors uh, uh, disabused me of my incorrect notion. A long time ago, I was saying, hey, we, we stand basically in a situation where we're not yet condemned. And then we condemn ourselves by choosing not to go to heaven. And in a way, we're choosing hell. He's like, that's not accurate. 
the true sin. If we don't accept, we stand condemned today, though, after our first sin. If we don't accept Christ, we stand condemned. The sentence is in. The judgment is done. Jesus, we're, Jesus isn't preventing us from going to hell. He is snatching us out of it. In places in the Bible, it talks about that there's, you know, it's like snatching a piece of wood out of the fire. Not a, not a bunch of wood sitting next to the fire, getting ready to be thrown in. If we don't understand the desperate nature of our current situation, there's no need to run in through the door yet. We've got time. The truth of the matter is you don't have time. Okay? Effort and trying. This one threw me off because I was like, really? We're not saved by works. Okay, but there is one effort. There is one thing that we have to do, that we have to try. And what is that effort? Do I believe Jesus? That's it. That's the effort. That's the trying. Do I believe that heaven is good enough that it's worth giving up the world, what we have here? Do I believe in Jesus when he says, the good news is so good because the bad news is so bad? Do I take both sides of the gospel at face value for what Jesus said? You know, Jesus, just before this, this section in uh, Luke 13, 5, says, it is really a dichotomy. Repent or perish. We stand if, uh, apart from perish or from repenting, we're going to perish. And this may not apply to everybody in the room, but I got to believe it applies to some of your family members. And who could stand by and watch them slip off into destruction? We have to realize the genuine nature of our problem. But then there's another level. Then there's people who previously didn't want to enter the door. They're content to listen to them and eat and drink with them, but they don't go in. So this is, you know, if we transport this argument into the modern vernacular, the modern or contemporizing, back in the day, obviously, this can't just apply to the people who lived in Jesus' day. Let's say, are there people that actually come to church and, and take, the com take communion, right, and don't necessarily believe? I, I think it's entirely possible. I did it for years. That's the truth of the nature, of the truth of the situation. And I listened to them for years before I came to Christ, Right? The problem is, is when we conflate church attendance with salvation, we're in a dangerous place. We can be that fourth tribe that lives outside the door but never enters it. Okay? And if we don't take seriously the nature of our current circumstances, then we're ever, not ever going to try to leave them. So why not RSVP to the great banquet? Uh, interesting. We know when we realize what banquet this is, it's even more uh, interesting. We know that this is the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're not just an invited guest. We're the bride, right? Could you imagine going to your future husband or your, your, your future or your wife coming to you and saying, love to marry you. Do you mind if I sleep around? Who's going to be like, well, yeah, okay, I, could. I mean, you're that, you're that quality that, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be fine with you. No. Could you imagine us going to Jesus and saying, yeah, I want to follow you. Do you mind if I sleep around? you mind if I share my heart with something else, with other people? I don't, think he, I don't think he would take it. I don't think we would take that deal. And what is it that we want to share him with? He's, what is it that we say, I'll get back to you about? We get back to, they talk about land or investments. We talk about oxen. Maybe it's our, our financial growth or success work. That's what I wrestle with, to be honest with you. I wrestle with that. Our relationships in this world that hold us back from selling out to him. That was my previous marriage. And the crazy part, I really do believe that those people who enjoy heaven most are the ones that were least satisfied with the prison camp. Okay? 
Now, why don't we want to carry our cross? Well, we know it ain't the weight, right? And Jesus said that my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? But the problem is, the thing that makes it difficult is that we can't take up the cross and still hold on to other stuff. We have to set something down. Now, some refuse the cross altogether and say, look, I like what I got. Then there's Dallas. This is me. Some make themselves unnecessarily miserable by trying to hold on to the cross and the things of this world. And I think that's all of us. When you look at the different, the parable of the weeds, right? Those are the, 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 the roots that come up and there's weeds around them and they choke them and make them unfruitful, right? The point is, I love that story because when I first heard it, I always thought that whatever your situation was in one of those four soils, that you stayed in that situation. And then I realized I'm a big dummy. What farmer would be like, there's weeds. Well, that's that, and walk off. You know, what's, what's the farmer going to do with those weeds? Yeah, he can go weed. You know, I just got done doing a week of it, right? He's going to go out there and he's going to start pulling up weeds out of our lives to make us fruitful. So the good news is he'll take care of this. <laughs> he will, pow, walk, knock some stuff out of your hands, right? He'll fix it. But again, it's our choice to try to carry both of them, and it just doesn't work. And it's difficult to give up those relations capable of ones we love, but the weird part is by taking up Christ, he actually makes us capable of loving people in ways that we couldn't before. And the key part here is yes, yes, the gift of salvation, absolutely free. But you can't take, up, take hold of it, can't take hold of your cross while you're still holding on to the things of the present thing. Just not possible. So here's the questions that I'd like us to consider. I'll be honest with you, I'll be considering these all week myself. Which would be harder to choose, the earth for another hundred years or heaven tomorrow, right? And I, that definitely helps me deal with people that die young. Are they escaping the prison camp? Or are they, go, are they, are they is this paradise and they've been kicked out? The second part is, which would be harder to turn down? A free golf outing, an amazing course, front side, court row, or front row, 50-yard line tickets at your favorite sport team, or time fellowshipping with men and God, okay? What's in your hands? What's in my hands? A cross or stuff? Are you trying to take hold, like I, like I do often, of your stuff while trying to take hold of the cross? What's that like? How's that feel? And are you content to eat? Are we content to eat with Jesus and hear about him weekly? Have you entered the narrow door? And if you haven't, tell the other guys at your table. If you have, great then write down the people in your life that have it and get them in the door. You only have one mission. You're f if so, you're fifth tribe members. You don't have another job. It's just introducing people to the king. And do you want to enter heaven? Or are you content to try to make the prison camp a little less, a little more like heaven? Lord, I pray that you please be with us. I pray that you join us. I pray that you would constrain us, that you would restrain us, that, Lord, that you would knock anything out of our hands that isn't the cross and isn't you. I pray that you would give us a sense, Lord, of our desperate need to go through the door, and if, if we haven't already, and if we have, I pray that you would put us a sense of desperation to get other people through the door. And then, Lord, I pray that we would sell out. I pray that we'd be men and women who go out and put your words into practice. So, Lord, we thank you for this time, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.